0: Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of first John chapter two. I think we have a children's option downstairs, y'all. Uh, but kids are always welcome in this service. I'm going to say I say it regularly because we need regular reminding that the wailing and the cries and the noise and the the, the sound of Cheerios hitting the floor. These are all the hopeful sounds in the Christian church because it reminds us that God has a future plan for us as we involve and invest in our kids. So uh, extend that mercy to the kids as you hear them through this service and ask that the Lord would help you to be like a child and humbling your heart before him. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses... 7 through 11 1 John chapter 2 verses 7 through 11 if you would stand with me as we read God's word together This is God's word Beloved I'm writing you no new commandment but an old commandment that you had from the beginning The old commandment is the word that you have heard At the same time But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. You would lift your hands with me as we come to God in prayer. Father, we pray that as we come to your word, that you would help us to be hearers and doers, that your word would bring us to life. Your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces down to the motivations of the heart, and we pray that you would help us to be honest before you today, to lay our hearts bare before your word, and to seek change and repentance and faith this morning, so that we may be different people in this world. We love you and pray for your blessing on us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we approach the new year and reflect back on 2017, it seems like every year people say this was a year like no other. It seems like every time we come up to the new year time, that's what people say. But surely we could be forgiven for saying as much about 2017. In 2017, we saw the inauguration of a new president and the deepening of partisan divides. In 2017, we saw culture wars as rallies flared up in which white supremacists and neo Nazis uh, and other counter groups protested uh, the removal of Confederate monuments and statues. In 2017, we saw a, dev- a devastating hurricane season that wrecked the city of Houston, that came through the the state of Florida and devastated the island of Puerto Rico and other Caribbean islands. Puerto Rico is still trying to get power and drinking water in many places. In 2017, we saw yet again more mass shootings. This time in the city of Las Vegas, in which 58 people lost their lives and then in an unthinkable moment, a shooter entered into a little country church in Texas and killed many people. In 2017, we witnessed another movement that that arose with a hashtag, Me Too. As many stepped forward women in Hollywood to talk about how they had been assaulted and had been mistreated and, and it brought into the national conversation a greater understanding of the many things that women have endured at the hands of men and other abusers. Even the sports world was not exempt from conflict as tensions flared up when players began to take a knee out of protest for police brutality. One of the worst fire seasons on record erupted in Northern California as thousands of homes were burned to the ground. I could mention the escalating tensions with North Korea that had nuclear possibilities. I could mention that our, our current, uh, our current government is being investigated for Uh, the possibility of Russian involvement in our political system. I could mention how many people almost had their eyes burned out by a solar eclipse in 2017. You can understand why some people retreat to being cynical and bitter and angry and fearful. Maybe that's where you are this morning. But, As we come to the end of one year and the beginning of a new year, it's important that God's people maintain focus on the peculiar way that we are to exist in this world. We are to inhabit this world in a peculiar way, in a distinct way. No matter what's happening around us, no matter how crazy it seems, no matter how much opposition we may face, no matter how much detraction may be heaped upon us or scorn, no matter how hard this world is, we as Christians are called to inhabit this world differently. The Apostle John wants us to focus on something that is both old and new this morning. I know that We're coming to the end of the year, and it's sort of out with the old and in with the new year. But this morning, I want us to focus on something that is both old and new. And according to the Apostle John, that is the commandment to love. The commandment to love is both old and new. In verse 7, the Apostle John says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. The Apostle John is telling his friends that their Christian life began in love. They were created in love. They were brought to new sight in love. They were recreated in love. God called them in love and secured them in love. They had heard this message of love from the beginning. It was an old commandment. Because from the very beginning of their Christian life, these Christians who were likely living in Ephesus, from the very beginning of their Christian life, John had instructed them in love. It was part of the the, uh, introduction package of the Christian church at the time. The message of the gospel and then ethical teaching on love. It was an old commandment. On the day of their conversion they matriculated into the school of love. And at the very beginning of their formation as Christians, the message of love was inculcated into them. And yet this commandment to love, which was an old commandment to them in one sense, John says was also a new commandment in another sense. A new commandment in another sense. What appears to be a contradiction on the surface it's actually a profound comment intended to lead to richer and more robust understanding and embodiment of love. It's a tension. It's an antinomy. It's old and new. And John distinctly puts it this way because he wants to lead us into a more robust understanding of love. It's a lot of our talk these days. It's on the it's on the minds of people in our culture. People speak this language often. But here I want us to see what John is saying about this old and new command to love. And I think that it specifically comes, if you, if you look at the text, it specifically comes in verse 8. Check it out. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you Which is true in him. This is where the newness of the commandment lies. The newness is in him, referring to Christ. This is where the newness lies, which is true in him. John is very fond of using the word true, the true light. True bread. This is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John that we went through a few years ago. The true light. Okay, he's fond of using this word. And when John uses this this language of true, what he's saying is authentic. The real thing. In other words, there are pretenders. there There are copycats. But nothing is like the real thing. It's like those old Coke commercials that played Marvin Gaye. Ooh, ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. Uh-huh. Ain't nothing like the real thing. They said there were many generic colas on the market. There, there, there were other, other people who were trying to put out their product. But what Coke was saying is that when you do the taste test, there is nothing like our product. And in a similar way, John is saying that Jesus is the true expression of this love. All others are pretenders. They pretend to offer you a genuine, true, rich, abiding and lasting love, but they cannot provide like Jesus does. He is the one in whom this commandment is true. It's true in him. Now, when John uses the language of new commandment, there is only one other place where that phrase is used in the Bible. And that is in John chapter 13. And if you remember, every Maundy Thursday, we gather together as a church in the evening. And we remember that night in which Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. You remember the setting, don't you? They were gathered together in the upper room. Jesus was about to have his final meal with his disciples. Everyone was gathered around, even Judas. Jesus walks in, he surveys the room, and he begins to strip down to the attire of a servant. And his disciples look on in astonishment as he takes a bowl of water... And he takes a towel and he begins to wash their feet. I want you to imagine that. I want you to imagine the Lord of life washing the dirty feet of his disciples. The God who made man from the dust of the earth is now washing dirt off of the feet of his disciples humbling himself, bowing before them in their service. He's going around. And then can you even imagine it when he comes to Judas? In full knowledge that this is an enemy. In full knowledge that this is someone who will show the greatest hatred toward him. In full knowledge that this is someone who will sell him down the river and he bows before him and he washes His dirty feet. It's an astonishing picture. And after Jesus gets up, he begins to teach his disciples. And he tells them, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you. That's the qualifier. As I have loved you. Because Jesus knew what he was about to do. Jesus knew where he was headed that very night. And he knew the depths of the love that he would show to them. He knew the magnitude of the love that he was going to express for them and to them. And he's calling them Before he goes into it, he says, I want you to look at me and I want you to remember I'm calling you to love one another as I have loved you. Can you imagine it? As the disciples endured the next 72 hours, John is here reflecting on that pastorally. He remembered how Jesus loved and he tells the people of God that this this commandment is it's old, but it's new. And how is it new? Because in him, we began to see what love really looks like. In Jesus, love takes on a newness. In Jesus Christ, we see love in a different way and it's all brand new. Because of the way that Jesus fills it out and forms the life of love. Jesus Christ gives new priority to love in a world where people focus on law keeping and external performance. Augustine, church father, says that oftentimes you can see a deed that appears to be a bad deed, but it's done from a a motive of love. And you can see a deed that appears to be a good deed. And it's done from a motive of evil. He says, he says back then, he says, you may see a father discipline a child with a with a strike and you may see an enemy coddle him. From different motives, from the wellsprings, many people are focused on law keeping. And there are all different kinds of laws. That which is socially acceptable becomes a a code And people are focused on law-keeping. They're not focused on love from the heart. They're focused on external performance. But Jesus gives new priority to love in an age and in a culture where people prioritize law-keeping and external performance. Jesus gives new intensity to love in a world where people only love the lovely and those who love them back. He gives a new intensity to it. His love is, is of such intensity that it can, it can even weather grievous sin, ruinous decisions that people make, heartbreaking actions and guilt and shameful deeds that people don't want to bring into the light. His love, is, it gives a new intensity. You thought you really loved that boy in junior high? You, that, that thing was strong on you. You were in the junior high dance with enough space for the Holy Ghost in between. I want to know what love is, right? All right, some of y'all were. You look wonderful tonight. Right? Yeah, you thought that you had some intense love. You thought that there was, all oh, you were wrapped up. But John is trying to tell each and every one of us that in those moments, in those moments, on your wedding day, when you looked into the eyes of the other and thought you could not love them any more deeply. He says all of that is a faint glimmer to the newness of the intensity of the love of Jesus for his people. He loves those who didn't love him back. He loved those who were not lovely. And if you think you were lovely, his love toward you was all the more necessary. New intensity to love. Jesus gives a new longevity to love in a world where people tire of you and move on to somebody new and more exciting. This may be a continuation of the junior high dance theme. This is a world where people do not last in their love. You can be hero in one minute and then you could be the villain in the next. But Jesus gives a new longevity to love How long will he love his people? Forever is just not potent enough to communicate it. There's a new longevity to the love of God and Jesus Christ. And it fits together with a new intensity to love. You know why God's love in Jesus Christ brings a new intensity? Here's why. Because when you are united to Christ, God the Father loves you with the same strength with which he loves his son. That is the love that existed from eternity past and will exist into eternity future. It's that same force and strength of love that is now aimed at you. And God the Father, because of your union with Christ, will love you for as long as he loves his son because you're in union with him that's how Jesus brings a new longevity to love that's the kind of love you want but Jesus gives a new immensity to love in a world where people care little risk little and give little for others he gives a new immensity to love and what I mean to say is this the more and more you explore the love of God in Jesus Christ, the more and more you begin to explore the glories and the excellencies of the one who died on the cross for your sins, who carried away your griefs, who bore your afflictions in his body on the tree and gave you his righteousness and took away your unrighteousness. The more you explore, the more you see that it is like a mountain range. And you get to the top of the mountain, you think that you're at the top, and then you just see the mountain range goes on. I was recently traveling for ministry work in Denver, and I took a ride. I've never, I'd never been to Colorado, um, and so I decided to take a ride up into the mountains, and I, I could not believe it. I was, I was speechless. I just kept saying in the car by myself, Wow. 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 I drove up to Estes Park, climbed this really steep mountain. And I started getting, you know, the the, the sickness, the altitude sickness. I started getting woozy. I was like, oh. man, it was so high up. I was like, they can't get any higher than this. This has got to be the top. When I got it broke to a plateau and then I looked and there was another range that seemed to go up just as high. And in that moment, I began to think this is. What theologians of old meant when they said that growing into your knowledge of the love of God and Jesus Christ, it's like climbing a mountain range. And when you get to the top, you think you're there, but then it keeps climbing and climbing and climbing. It's like a mansion and you open up and you come in to the foyer and it's beautiful. And then you begin to open doors and you don't realize How many rooms are in the place? Beautifully decorated, ready to be inhabited. What I'm saying to you is that this is what the love of Christ is like. If you think you got it, you probably don't. If you think you've exhausted it, you definitely do not get it. But we can grow. We can grow into it. One of the ways that we can grow And understanding the measureless love of God, the immensity of the love of Christ is by understanding the the greatness of his mercies to us every time our sin comes before him. One sin is enough to be separated forever. And yet again and again, you wake up to new mercies and he sustains you through your day and pours out his good gifts on your life. It's love. It's love when he stops you from self-destructive courses. It's love that stretches you and provides for you and matures you. There's an immensity to the love of God in Jesus Christ. And I think it's one of the greatest, most beautiful ways to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. Rather than banging people, banging people up, telling them that they're wrong they may be very wrong there is there is right and wrong it's not all up for grabs but perhaps the most compelling way to frame up the christian faith for people is to help them see how little the love is that they're currently living for they're living for the love of approval too small They're living for the love of money too small. Why not instead expose them to the magnitude of the love of God in Jesus Christ so that they will rightly see just how puny those lesser loves are. But I think that the most most amazing thing about this passage, y'all, is where John goes from here. Look at the text. He says, at the same time, it is a new commandment, verse eight, that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. That is breathtaking. He's saying that this love, this command to love is new in you. Greek preposition and can mean also among you, which I think is the right translation. This is true among you. He's saying the newness of this love command is to be demonstrated in the way that we love one another, the way that we remember one another, the way that we encourage one another and speak words of dignity over one another, the way that we sit with one another through hard times, the way that we value one another, the way that we serve one another, the way that we support one another. The way that we forbear with one another and forgive one another. It becomes new in us. What John, I think, is showing us is that this new priority of love is to be reflected in us. And this new intensity to love is to be demonstrated through us. And this new longevity in the love of God that is demonstrated in Jesus is to take shape among us. This new immensity of love is to be fully resonant within us. How powerful would it be if as a community we showed we showed the immensity of Christian love when people care little and risk little and give little to others? What if we were a more beautiful narrative. What if we demonstrated that longevity of God's love in Jesus Christ when we did not tire of people or give up on them or move on to somebody else, but stuck with people and loved them faithfully regardless of what they had going on in their lives, regardless of how scary it is or how ill-equipped we feel. If we just stuck in love, What if people witness through us a new intensity of love that doesn't just love the lovely, that doesn't just love those who love you back? After all, one of the other apostles said, what good is it if you love those who love you back? (laughs) Jesus said, what good is it if you love those who who can reward you? What, What good is it if you invite those into your house who can invite you into their house? No, invite those who can't pay you back. Invite those who have no house to invite you to. Then you'll be getting something of the kingdom. Then you'll be getting something of my love. What if we were a community that dem- demonstrated that kind of beauty? You see, love is, is the final apologetic. It's the final evidence for the truth of the Christian faith at the end of the day. They people may resist our theological claims. They may reject our exclusivity. They may not like the way that we do church or the way that we praise God or worship God through song. They may not like that. But love is a power that hatred cannot overcome. Love is a power, it's a light that darkness cannot defeat. That's why John focuses on this new commandment, y'all, and then directly goes on to say, look at it, verse eight, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. How does the darkness pass away, friends? Through our love. That is a reflection and an echo of the love of God and Jesus Christ. That's how it passes away. What does love look like? This is what Augustine says it has hands to help others, it has feet to hasten to the poor and needy, it has eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of mankind. That is what love looks like. Pretty good. Don't forget that this letter was being given to these people from a man who called himself the one that Jesus loved. (laughs) And I think it's just so powerful because. This man identifies, he self-identifies as one whom Jesus loves, as the one that Jesus loves. And then his theme becomes love. His message to others is love. His ways with others are love. It starts with an identity, y'all. Do you know yourself to be one that Jesus loves? Do you know it? Do you know it? It's not that John thought he was one that was loved to the, to the exclusivity of others. It was his astonishment that God could love him, that Jesus could love him. I want to close by saying this. People had b- been putting cars of various types together for 11 years before Henry Ford started Ford Motor Company. People had been using the factory method of of manufacture for years before Henry Ford came on the scene. But Henry Ford took something old and once he structured it in his unique way, he turned it into something new. Ford was able to make better cars than anybody else and he was able to make cars accessible to many. He turned the automobile from a costly curiosity into a practical part of life, and he changed society. And in the same way, love of various expressions had been around for many years before Jesus Christ came on the scene in the flesh. But Jesus took something old And once he structured it in his cruciform way, he turned it into something new. And Jesus Christ was able to give a greater love than anybody else. And he was able to make that love accessible to as many as would come to him. And he continues to do so today. He has turned sacrificial love, neighbor love, even enemy love from a costly curiosity into a way of life for his people. May this new commandment be true among us as we enter into this new year. May we be an audio visual display of the fact that the darkness is passing away and the light is already shining. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray. We pray that with all the giftedness in this room, with all of the impressive credentials in this room, with all of the accolades and high power jobs in this room, we pray, Father, that as a community, we would be known most for our love. That that would be the most distinguishing factor about us that we love, that we love fiercely, that we love loyally and, and, and faithfully, that we love people to the uttermost, that we love people through sin and brokenness, that we love people through loss and pain and trials and heartache, that we love people in their victories and successes that we love insiders and outsiders, that we love the initiated and the uninitiated, that we love our fellow citizens of America and we love the sojourner, the immigrant, and the vulnerable, that we love the widow and the orphan, that we love rich people and that we love poor people, that we love the elderly, And we love the children. Father, we pray that regardless of outcomes or particular results, that we would fix our hearts and our minds on love. Bless us to this end, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.